Hello and welcome to yet again another episode of Right On Track, episode 55, the podcast where we talk about all things Thomas and Friends and the Railway series. My name is Tom Denham, but never fear, I'm never joined alone. It'd be a bit boring if it was just myself. Also here with me, I have Connor Jonas. Hello, hello. Connor, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm going good. Just about over halfway through for Series uh, 7 now, and we've got a few really good stories coming up that I'm looking forward to talking about. Indeed we do, and to help us on this wonderful journey, we have our third host, the accredited critic himself, Tom Parry. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Tom. It is always a pleasure to be here, and yes, I am particularly looking forward to these stories today, as is our guest, I understand, Denim. Why, yes, of course, we do love having special guests here at Right On Track, and in today's episode, we have the scribbling, fantastical illustrator herself, Seaswine. Hello, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Hello, everyone. Hello. And as you said, Mr. Parry, we're reviewing some fantastic episodes today. Relieve our anticipation and reveal what those episodes are. Well, the stories we're going to be talking about today are Salty's Stormy Tail, Snow Engine, Something Fishy, and The Runaway Elephant. Brilliant episodes, but before we get into them, we need to do what we always do when we have a new guest host here on the podcast. And that is to learn a bit more about them. So, welcome to the hot seat, Spine. Oh, hello. <laughs> You're very much known in the fandom and collective as a whole for lots of brilliant artwork. What I'm sort of most curious about is not so much a Thomas question, but an art question. When did you get into drawing and all this amazing artistry. Honestly, since I was a little kid, I've always been like quite creative, you know, crayons and everything, poster paint, you know me. As I got older, I kind of got more into you know illustration and stuff. Um, I had like a couple of family members. Um, my dad's actually like an illustrator as well. Uh, draws a lot of, he actually draws a lot of vehicle stuff. It's like cartoony, oh. but he draws a lot of vehicles. And then uh, my uncle drew, it was more into fantasy and dragons. So it's like a, a strange crossover I have where I'm drawing like engines that are monsters. <laughs> You've crossed both worlds together. Yeah, mix them up. Yeah, see, so and of course you are an accomplished artist, but um, you aren't a latecomer to the fandom of sorts. So I was wondering whether you could tell us um, what made you gravitate towards the fandom and, yeah, what sparked your love of Thomas the Tank Engine? Well, I think, like, everyone else, it started, like, really young, but this would be back in, like, the early 90s. Um, so I know that I had uh, books read to me as a kid at bedtime, probably the same book over and over again, because I'm pretty sure... Um, we very quickly um, switched to me listening to an audio cassette rather than um, my poor mum having to read the books. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, and then I think we, we had a couple of VHSs. Um, I think uh, someone actually figured out the exact VHS I had because I was like, yeah, I remember these, like, like you know, four four episodes or so. And they were like, oh, there was this, like, VHS that you had. And, like, I watched a rip of it and it had the adverts on it as well. And it was like, oh... This is a nostalgic, like, throwback. Like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> it's tickling a nostalgia bone. Um, 
and then like I, I kind of dropped out of it as like most people do um and then I think like it was just a case of I I think I got back into watching Tugs because <laughs> there's only like 13 episodes I watched that and then I found out through Tugs like oh there's like a Thomas fandom as well so I kind of like I, I made like a little side account so I could join in and I just ended up really like appreciating it because um it's like a really creative fandom you've got like people writing making models making their own like little mini episodes and videos so it was like really refreshing to see all this like creativity going mm. on absolutely and sea swine apart from obviously the stories we're going to cover today do you have any particular favorite episodes from earlier seasons or is there a favorite series of yours that you constantly find yourself going back to um i do like season four because it's got the little narrow gauge engines and such in and i think like mm -hmm. the vhs i had had like a lot of those episodes in it from that season um but mm -hmm. like i think my favorite episode is escape because it's so kind of like dark and like yeah it's like dark and atmospheric and like and oliver's a favorite character so <laughs> yeah and, and, and like i mean on, on the dark aesthetic and as you've uh, mentioned yourself a lot of your art that you do while some is you know happy and so on some of them have got for example diesel 10 picking up either stepney or thomas i believe it's stepney in the drawing it's um it's a little 14 uh hundred so it's like a oliver's brother oh, no. like interrogated yeah. And it's, like, actually really, really <laughs> dark. I feel a way to describe it would be, it's like Thomas, but a bit to the left. <laughs> Very to the left. <laughs> I would definitely put this on my child's bedroom wall. <laughs> <laughs> but I think with that, it's time for us to get into the first uh, hold story on, hold on, that we're going hold to be covering today. Huh? Before we do... We do have something we need to get out of the way, and Sea Swine, I think you know what's coming. Oh, I don't know if you deserve it. I'll leave you to it. <laughs> I don't know if you deserve me showing my friend your Thomas the Tank channel. <laughs> there it is. I'm happy. We can continue. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Connor's traumatized. Ha <laughs> ha. I think it's time that we do go to our next episode. Parry, what is the first thing that we're going to be reviewing today? Well, the first story we're going to be reviewing today, Connor, is Salty's Stormy Tale. And in the clip you hear, or you're about to hear, we have Emily talking to uh, Thomas and Percy. Those be dark clouds, matey, whistled Thomas. There be a fierce storm on the way, Cap'n, peeped Percy. Emily was cross. It's no nice to copy the way others speak. You hurt Salty's feelings. We were just having fun, said Percy. We'll say sorry to him, added Thomas. But Salty was nowhere to be found. Thomas and Percy were worried. There's something a bit off about this story. It's good, but it, it feels like there's two consecutive stories happening at the same time, but they're both very different. Almost, not quite, but almost very chalk and cheese. Does anyone get a similar vibe? 
Yeah, I feel like that too. Salty's Stormy Tale. Whilst I reckon, like, like in terms of visuals, uh, it, it's got the best storm that we've seen ever in the show. But story-wise, it feels like we've got a Thomas and Percy moral story and then a Salty and Fergus dramatic story. Mm, absolutely. And they've just sort of been glued around the edges and stuck. Yeah, I feel that way too. Because, yeah, it, it could have been just, you know, Fergus and Salty having an adventure and then it just seems weird that, like, the Thomas and Percy, like, don't be mean to people kind of moral is kind of squashed in there. It's interesting because the whole Salty and Fergus story counterpart feels exactly like David Midden to a T. It feels like something that he would direct and tell. But it feels like almost through script revisions, it could feel like there's been this mandatedness that they've had to add this kind of morale tale for Thomas and Percy so it can be a bit more attainable for the younger viewer mm. uh, on note of story this story is by Polly Churchill um, but yeah like I would personally prefer Salty Stormy Tale a lot more if it didn't have the entire second moral subplot behind it but very briefly Salty Stormy Tale starts with Salty going that there's a storm coming. Percy and Thomas then imitate Salty and his Yarahar accent. His pirate voice. Yeah. Uh, Salty goes and collects Fergus and on their way home, there's a big storm and they save a lighthouse, which has run out of power and therefore a subsequent ship. Meanwhile, Emily finds out that Thomas and Percy hurt Salty's feelings say don't do that and at the very end of the episode the ship is like salty you saved us and thomas and percy are like we're sorry salty and and full stop um if that sounds like i didn't know what i was talking about that's because i didn't and that's because this story is weird it's not it's like not, literally it's not weird I, I reckon your memory is just failing you on this occasion Connor. like it's like, like i mean i'm 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 look like i'm i'm literally skipping through the episode right now <laughs> this is not like you Connor. usually you're the best you you're the one who comes prepared you're the one who's always got the notes ready and has infallible no, recall i am prepared i i Harry, could you please shine some more light on the situation for us <laughs> Oh, aye, aye, aye. Um, no, Connor, I think you've done like about as good a summary as you can do, but essentially you are right. There are two separate conflicts going on here. Neither of them really gel with one another. It would have been better if they had been separate stories, I feel. But uh, there is one thing you've missed, and that's powering uh, the lighthouse back up. We, of course, are, were introduced to Fergus several stories ago, but... The way Salty and Fergus are talking to each other, it's kind of like we're meeting them for the first time. It's because here he is at the cement works and he's coming to the docks for some reason. And it's never properly explained why. Steelworks. The st oh, he's at the steelworks. That's right. So he's not at the yeah. cement works. In this I thought story. it was the smelter's yard. Smelter's yard, steelworks, they're, they're, like, they're, they're similar. But well, Fergus keeps ending up in dangerous places. He's a dangerous engine. <laughs> True, but this this time he seems to be there by choice. Mm. Um, uh, one thing to note though on how yeah, for some reason he's going to the docks. Technically, 
Um, Fergus should have gone down this way in his premiere episode, Bill Ben Fergus. He should have, actually, because in the first time we see Fergus is when he's working with Bill and Ben in what can only assume is the uh, Sodor China clay pits. Or a Nofa quarry, but then you also need to account for all the other engines working at the quarry. Whilst yes. It... It, yeah, or a Nofa quarry or Farquhar quarry. But that would therefore mean that this story should take place somewhere before that. Mm. Since his driver doesn't know the line. Yet, he's been down here before. Yes. Um... It's interesting in this episode because as a kid, this is the first time I saw Fergus in an episode because I had the Engines to the Rescue DVD. Did you guys have yes, that? Yes, yes. I had the exact same DVD. Yeah, I also had that DVD. Mm. Um, I, I think what's really unique about this episode is that Fergus's being here is very plot-driven. He ends up helping out the, um, the lighthouse keeper uh, by powering the light with his flywheel. And, 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 like, I mean, his greatest, like, like it, it's weird because Fergus, if you remove him from the story, the story doesn't play out the same way. No, line. it doesn't. And this is the point I want to. Wrecked. Everyone dies. Yes. <laughs> exactly. There, there you are. That's the next stuck drawing yes. for you. Da 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 da. Bop. Yeah, th- this is the point I wanted to make before. The, the, uh, Fergus is sort of. A he's a plot device, really. He because he's as we know, he's a traction engine who travels on rail, and he it's his flywheel which helps to power the generator uh, that um, operates the lighthouse, and it, it's absolutely bizarre because the, the generator, the shed that the generator is housed in, right, it's got a rail leading up to it, which is very convenient. I mean, if the railway wasn't there, how else would they power the generator, for one? But um, knowing this, I feel that the story would be just as well served, maybe, if it was, say, Edward and Trevor, because Trevor's a traction engine as well. He's got a flywheel. He could have just as easily saved the day. Yeah. You don't need the rails. You can just drive in. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I'd like to note that the most likely reason why there's a shed there would be would be because this is a lighthouse. Probably, it, it's definitely far out on the coast. It doesn't look like that there's any easy access to it apart from the railway. So chances are that they've got their own little inspection trolley or speeder that they can take along the rails, and it's just stored there. That's a possibility. Hmm. That like 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 that that that's but, the way I'm justifying it in my head. No no no, I think that's a very logical reasoning there, Connor. So well done. But thank you. My thought as well is where exactly is this taking place? Where is this lighthouse in the you know on the whole of the island of Sodor? I suggest that this lighthouse is on the coastal route that Henry takes in series five. The coastal what, Connor? The coastal route. Yeah, yes, that's better. Except it's a route because, you know, we're not at a tree, but, you know, we can go into the etymological arguments of this afterwards. Parry. <sighs> oh, sorry, parry. 
Um, <laughs> that rare. I, I think I'm hilarious. You're alone in that opinion. You do say that to yourself quite often. Yeah, does anyone notice that Fergus doesn't get thanked at the end? Yes! <laughs> He's there that all is an the excellent night point. Working, and then at the end, yeah, it's like, like, oh, Salty had the idea, Fergus did the work, and then, like, yeah, Fergus is just there, everyone's like, oh, thank you so much, Salty, and Fergus is like, okay, okay, I guess I didn't do anything then. <laughs> it's literally this bit from The Simpsons. Sue, a round of applause for... This inanimate carbon rod. Yeah! <laughs> if anything, Fergus is more of an object in this story. Like yes. He's, oh, poor thing. Yeah, quite literally. <laughs> he's a plot device. I, I, I feel, I feel that there's something wrong with the story when you can. There's only four scenes in each of the four in the two stories here. You get, and like the first one's just a line, because you get Salty going, "There's a storm." Then he's sent off to the smelters. Then Nicky and Fergus go and save the lighthouse mm-hmm. in the storm that he mentioned in that previous line, and mm-hmm. then it's a big thank you. Yes. Meanwhile. Thomas and Percy one. You get them imitating him. You get Emily learning mm-hmm. about it. Emily telling them off. Mm-hmm. And then them apologizing to him. Like, there's literally no room in this story to get creative with any of these plots. Well, well, not narrative-wise, but we haven't touched upon this yet. The special effects are pretty impressive, and we, we all admit that, right? Yeah, visually it looks great. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and and when we're referring to visually, it looks great. I'm assuming we're only referring to the uh, the sort of overcastness and then the storm. Yeah, that, and I reckon we get to see more of Brendan Docks as well. Like we get to see little areas that we haven't seen before in any other seasons, especially as it expands. Yeah, we do actually. I actually sad note. Cranky isn't here. No, he's not. That's that's a good point. But um... yeah, you, you you were sleeping after no sleep for Cranky. <laughs> they just lay him on his side. A very long sleep. <laughs> the practicals in this episode, fantastic. You get a small explosion from a fuse box. You get brilliant shot of, and I know it's just a light, but mm-hmm. the fact that a light is turning off as it's still revolving. Oh yeah, that's a great shot. Uh, you you get. The rise and fall of the ship, you mm-hmm. get. There, there's just one shot, and I know that they were so proud of this one shot, where you just see the wall of the generator uh, shed, and the lights slowly brighten up. Mm. And I, yeah, that's a good one as well. It's mm. brilliant. Um, but I would like to note that yes, practicals are at their peak in this episode. Mm, that they are. And I'm afraid that that won't be the case ever again. No. Because this is the last ever case that we see real water being used as rain. Is it now? Because throughout this, they, they you know, yeah. just sort of do like the mist 
of rain going down. Mm. And in the future, it's all just going to be CGI. Oh, lazy. Coward's way out. And, and, and that's why I believe, in terms of storms, the best-looking storm ever in Thomas, whether we're talking about uh, Percy's Promise or Gallant Old Engine or Toby and the Flood, in terms of actual storm itself, this one looks the best. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. It's just got such a good atmosphere to it. Yeah. So with that, Mm. have we got any more comments before we move on to the ratings? Can we talk about the goof? (laughs) Oh. Uh, Okay, Seasman, you can introduce that. So when the ship is rocking, um, a light flashes and you can just see something red behind the ship and it's uh, probably someone's uh, shoulder just in frame with the, the man shaking the boat gently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit of magic. As they do the lightning flash, you see the guy's shirt and a bit of his hand. Which, you know, I know it's not intentional, but... Now, of course, it wouldn't be intentional, but I just love how you can see that. It it reminds me that these are actual massive models. Mm. Like, people had to make these things. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's nice that we it's not intentional, mm-hmm. but I, it's nice to be reminded of the fact that these were people working on these. Well, Connor, you can lead us off. We forgot to mention a, a very important character. Yes. Oh, yes. Of course. Our sea captain. Yes. The uh, the sea captain of the ship is the same figure that we say is Tom Denham. <laughs> if you ever want to not look at real photos of Tom Denham and want to know what he looks like as a wooden figurine, just have a look at the sea captain in this episode and you get a pretty good idea. It's his cameo. Including mm-hmm. fashion. The resemblance is uncanny, what can I say? It's, it's cute. <laughs> there is one other detail that I forgot to mention. Oh, here we go. This is the last starring role of Salty until series 17. Is it? Really? Away from the sea. Yep. Wow. Oh. So, so he'll still be there. He just won't have a main role. Mm. So ratings, are we all good for ratings now? Okay, yeah, and Connor, you lead yep. us off. Okay. This episode has got brilliant visual effects, and I like the use of just using, whilst it's much of objectifying Fergus, using <laughs> him and his flywheel to power the generator. That's very creative. However, this episode really, really fails by having that extra second story behind the moral implications of imitation is the most serious form of flattery. Mm. So uh, I'm going to give it a 6.5. Rightio. You know what, Connor? I'm going to give it the exact same score as you, and I echo all your points. There. That's my piece said. Easy. Denim? Yeah. For what it is, it's an enjoyable episode. I think it's fun. 
I think there's a fun variety of characters. We have Thomas, Percy, Salty, Emily, and Fergus all in starring roles. A little bit mixed, and as we are explored, um, odd that we don't see Cranky, but I think overall, it's all right. I'll give it a six. Mm. And sea swine. I think I'm going to have to agree with everyone else. I was thinking of giving it a six, so yeah, a six. Kind of agree with everyone else. The storm looks really nice, but it's just like two awkward stories that kind of mash together, and it would have been nice to see one or the other fully fledged. Mm. And a comment that you said there, Denim, gave me an idea. Just food for thought. What if instead of Emily telling Thomas and Percy off, it was Cranky? Ooh, I like that. Mm. Yeah, looking after his dockside brethren. Anyways, moving on from a stormy tale, it is now further into winter on the island, and we're going to be hanging out with our great western friend Oliver and his brake van Toad as they see a giant pile of snow purposefully accumulate. Later, Oliver saw some children building a giant snowman for the winter festival. Each time Oliver passed by, the snowman grew bigger. And bigger. And bigger. And bigger. Just an observation, Mr. Oliver. Snow is magical. Pa. Finally, the snowman was complete. Oh, gee, you know, I hope nothing bad happens with this uh, snowman getting precariously bigger and bigger. No. With, uh, grumpy Oliver. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. In fact, no contribution to the story at all. It's just there. It's just pretty. Yeah, it's just decoration. It's that decoration. <laughs> I just love how large that top hat is that it's wearing. Where do they get a top hat that it's big? from the same shop that I go to do my shopping. <laughs> it's the one well, he sits in. He nests in it. <laughs> so, Perry, uh, would you mind giving us a synopsis of Snow Engine? Or Oliver the Snow Engine? Absolutely. So... Yes, as, as we established before, it's wintertime on the island of Sodor. There is a giant snowman being built next to the Great Western Railway Line or the, what, what is it, the Arsdale, Arsberg branch line? Yeah, yeah, the Little Western Arsberg branch. Or technically, if you're looking at maps, this is Rolf's Castle Station, which should be... Is it? I, I, I believe so. And that should be, yeah, Rolf's Castle. And it should be on the Kirkronen branch line instead, which is uh, sort of uh, on the opposite side of the island and opposite side of the bay from Brendam. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, mm-hmm. Anyways, yes, giant snowman. Yes, that's where we were. And... And it so happens that on this one particular occasion, as Oliver's pulling into the station, he uh, 
breaks, but there's ice on the rail, so he slides all the way along, and unfortunately, our giant snowman meets a, an unfortunate demise of sorts. Yeah. Oh, dear. I, I feel yeah. that's a way to put so... it, because the snowman's head falls off. He does. He's been decapitated by being driven through the torso by an engine. Yeah, and, and Oliver full-on just slams through the middle of it. But can we please praise, like, like not the head, of course, but the architecturalness of the torso. Because Oliver has crashed perfectly through it, and the rest of it hasn't collapsed. Yeah, yes, the body is still the same. So yeah. that leaves Oliver stuck in a snowbank, off the rails, basically, and poor old Toad beside him, who somehow has found his way from the back of his goods train all the way up front. <laughs> yes. The fact controller is informed of the situation. He said, oh, we'll just leave Oliver there overnight and collect him in the morning. And meanwhile, Oliver is absolutely cold and shivering. But the next morning, the children have decided to... Well, after they've found him, they decided to dress him up like their snowman. Yeah. They, and, they put the big scarf around him and a giant top hat. And it's from that moment... That Oliver decides, hold on, snow and winter are such wonderful things after all, whereas Toad has completely changed his mind. He's gone from admiring winter to finding it absolutely miserable. <laughs> yeah, b b because before this, uh, throughout it, Toad was saying that snow is magical. It's going to be mm. like really soppy, but it's literally just like a comfort episode for me. It's like, it's just silly and wholesome. I like the Christmas setting of the little like village and snow. I like Oliver. It's like a very Oliver centric episode. Um, and like, yeah, yeah, it's just like a fun episode. I love the visual of like his head or his like smoke box sticking out at the the giant snowman he looks so upset by it <laughs> oh yeah it, it, I, I agree this episode is just it's nice it's comfortable it's definitely one of my favorite stories out there no it's one of my favorites of series seven as well and you, you know it, it's apart from the accident it is a pretty low-key narrative i mean there's not a lot that happens not a lot that happens but it does introduce a few interesting ideas. For, uh, for example, well, uh, this is the first time that we really see Oliver and Toad disagree on something. Uh. So throughout it, they've always typically been quite uh, on the same page. However, this is the first time where Oliver full-on just is on the opposing side of Toad. Mm. Not necessarily in an argument, but just disagreeing. Mm. And this is, I believe, the first time that we have a character just dislike snow in general. Not wearing a snowplow, not the work involved in it, just the weather and the cold itself. Mm. It, so it, it's a really interesting idea. And I feel those ideas that come about an engine just hating the cold weather and mm -hmm. the dialogue between Toad and Oliver has made some amazing lines in this episode. So, for example, um, during the actual accident itself, whilst everything is chaotic and all over the place, you just get Toad asking casually if there's a problem. 
<laughs> is there a problem, Mr. Oliver? And you get, yeah, 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 there it is, please. And and then, of course, there's after they have their accident and Toad goes, that could have been a little smoother. <laughs> yeah. Or what one of my favourite lines in it is Oliver, he, he says, oh, shiver my boiler. And the thing is, he sounds more tired and more annoyed than scared when he says it. <laughs> like, 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 like when he first starts slipping and he goes, oh, shiver my boiler, at, at least in the UK narration, it's more mm. like, oh, this is going to cause a delay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to need to work overtime for this. Oh, no. And I love that interpretation of it, of just, he's a retail worker that realises that he's going to be working even more now on Christmas, and he just doesn't like it. This episode has such great attention to detail, and I love how next to the giant snowman, there's just a, a regular tiny little snowman off to the side. <laughs> yes, there, there, there is a tiny uh, snowman that you can see in the background. There, there are a few, actually. This episode is also another case where we hear Michelangelo's make another animal noise, and when we go into the Fat Controller's office, we can see his cat, and it goes... Meow. Just like that. Yes. Meow. <laughs> so, the, yeah, there, there doesn't seem to be any reason why there's a cat there. It's just in literally three shots where you get a shot. It's Sir Topham's cat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sir Topham's cat. Does all of his evil bidding, catches all of his mice, you know? Honestly, I think it's sweet that... The fat controller owns oh, a cat yeah. and he has him in the office. Yeah, and you get a meow with, with a, a hesitant... <laughs> Sorry, Connor, could I just get you to do that one more time for me? Meow. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but what I feel this episode really shines in... Uh, I'm wondering if you guys have picked up on, on it because it is not the dialogue. It's got nothing to do with the mm. visuals. But it is the various sound you hear. For example, you get just three shots of Sir Topham. You get his telephone ringing. You get the light turning on and the cat meow. And then you get Sir Topham talking on the telephone. However, during that entire sequence, you can hear the flick of a light switch. And you can hear this almost string uh, Slavic guitar being played lightly, as if we're only catching the middle of a song that he's been listening to at the time. Or, uh, as Oliver sits out in the cold and snow, you can hear people laughing and joking along in the nearby inn. Yeah, oh, Oliver is outside. <laughs> and the final detail is when Oliver's driver actually goes into the inn to stay there the night, you can hear on the piano the 19th century Scottish folk song, My Bonnie, also known as My, known as My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. Whoa, that is niche. What a pickup. Uh, which was played uh, and popularised by the Beatles and Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, but you can only hear My Bonnie in the UK releases. So US, you're missing out on something there. 
As you always are, let's be honest. Something else that is noteworthy is that we see the return of Nancy, the guard's daughter, who we saw in Series 4. I wouldn't say it's a character return, but yes, Nancy's model does make an appearance. I noticed the model looks like... Yeah, she's like... The model is slightly bigger than the other kids, so I like to think, like, oh, you know, she's, like, looking after them. She's the older kid, making sure that they're all okay. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> she runs a youth group for the kids. Oh. <laughs> but, but I can guarantee... I can 100% guarantee that the only reason that Nancy's model is there is because she's got a beanie. Or, or a head warmer, or, or whatever you call it. We call it beanies here in Australia. And that's the only reason why she's there, because you can see that none of the other children are wearing beanies. In fact, all of them are just wearing everyday casual clothes soda clothes heck there's one boy like i mean i know some people do this but he's wearing shorts in fact i can see two in fact i'm going to count one two three a lot of them are wearing very very hot summer wear they're all they're hardened uh soda kids they're used to the brittle colds <laughs> they're big, they, yeah they go out in t-shirts and shorts in the snow <laughs> Then, you know, you get someone from Vickerstown coming over, complaining about the code, like, oh, this is nothing. And then they're wearing their singlet, skivvy, and just shorts. Now you're just describing Australians. But, but yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's the only reason why Nancy's model was there, because she's wearing a beanie. I can 110% guarantee that. I don't know that for a fact, but it is a fact. However, mm. there are some sad things here. Ah. Oh. As there always are, yes. Um, much like in Salty Stormy Tale, this is the last use of a practical snowing effect. Uh. Or others in the future will use CGI. Mm. This is the last appearance of Oliver and Toad until Series 12. Ooh. Terrible. A crime. It, no, I agree, Swan. It, it is like, you know, there should be a law against this kind of thing. This is the last episode to ever have Oliver as a main character. Oh! This is the last episode without any of the main characters or narrow gauge engines. Mm-hmm. And this is the last episode written by Jenny McDade, mm. who wrote such stories such as James and the Red Balloon, Toby Had a Little Lamb, Thomas Percy and the Squeak, Duncan Duncan, Bad Day at Castle Lock, and now, of course, her final episode, Snow Engine, or yeah, Oliver the Snow Engine. She's written some of the best stories of these past two series, I feel. Yeah, mm. they're all, like, low-key, like, banger episodes, like, that's so... Yeah. yeah. And, and this is the last time we get two words on a page. I say we go into ratings, and see swine mm-hmm. I feel... Because this is sort of the episode you came onto the podcast for, why don't you lead us off? So, I mean, I feel like I, I'm simping here because I like Oliver so much. <laughs> and I have, like, people point out, like, you could put any other engine in. And I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe I do like it because it's Oliver. Um, I guess for me, the only downside is I wish maybe, like, Duck had a line because he appears and it would have been cute for him to have a little quip about Oliver wanting to stay in the snow but it's kind of like left as a blank it's very much an oliver sort of just hanging out with toad story 
Um, but yeah, <laughs> I do really like the episode. I think I'd have to like give it a nine. It's uh, yeah, it's my comfort episode. So. <laughs> well, um, you know what, C one. I think I might have to agree with you here. I'm going to give it a nine as well. This is, I think, in the top three best stories from series seven, and it's one I find myself returning to time and again. I really enjoy the practical effects. I love that Oliver's a part of the episode. I love his interactions with Toad. So, yeah, great narration. You know, it's brilliant. 9 out of 10 from me. Uh, Denim? Yeah, this episode's quite sweet. Um, It's simple at its root, but I think one thing that it gets right is the the very essence of Oliver's and Toad's relationship as friends together. Um, There's some lovely little comedy in there. Um, there's some, again, as we touched on, the sound design is wonderful. Um, the little character beats are nice too. I'm going to give it a seven. Mm. So, uh, you mentioned something CS1 there on how you could input any other engine into this story and it'd play out the same. Yeah, it would play out the same, but it is Oliver's hate of the cold weather itself and the discussion between him and Toad that I feel elevate this episode anymore. And you can't get that with any other engine. And I highly doubt I'm going to give this score to any other episode. Whoa! But I am going to give this a 10. Oh! I absolutely adore this story. It's got brilliant practical snowing effects, which we sadly never see again. In the UK release, you've got My Bonnie playing, and you've got all these other amazing sound design choices you get the dialogue between oliver and toad it's just fantastic through and through and it may it would be even better if duck had a quip but at the same time that doesn't matter too much to me this is forget duck (laughs) yeah yeah this is the best i feel that series seven has to offer if that rating was a surprise to you. You're going to hear more surprises as we listen to mm-hmm. our musical interlude today. Well, today's uh, musical interlude, our featured song comes from our old friend Headmaster Hastings, no less. And it is a cover of the, uh, it's actually a song from series eight called Surprises. But we thought given that the film clip references the story we just talked about, we thought it'd be very apt that we played it here on the podcast today. Surprises, surprises, they come all shapes and sizes. You never know what's round the bend. It might delight, it might offend. That's why there's surprises with all their highs and lows. You come on top or come full stop. Who knows, who knows, who knows? Slide comes right across the line. You think you're really done for, but help is on its way. You'd be surprised how often that someone saves the day. Surprises, surprises, they come all shapes and sizes. You never know what's round the bend. It might delight, it might offend. That's why there's surprises with all their highs and lows. You come on top or come full stop. Who knows, who knows? 
surprises can be dull and flat Cause no one knows what's down the line You can be sure of that Surprises, surprises They come all shapes and sizes You never know what's round the bend It might delight, it might offend That's why there's surprises With all their highs and lows You come on top Or come full stop Who knows, who knows, who knows That was Headmaster Hastings' cover of the Series 8 Thomas and Friends song, Surprises. You're listening to Right on Track. I'm Connor Jonas, joined by Tom Parry, Tom Denham, and C-Spine, our special guest today. We have covered storms, we've covered snow, and now we are going to touch on the sea with our third review of the day, Something Fishy, where Thomas has been sent to the harbour to collect some fish. The next morning, Thomas was still grumpy. The fisherman had caught lots of fish. Hurry up, said Thomas. I'm a busy engine. And a fussy one too, said the fisherman. Just enjoy the fresh, salty smell of the fish. Pooh, puffed Thomas. Thomas steamed as fast as he could along the line. But there was trouble ahead. Some faulty points sent his trucks one way and Thomas onto the old pier rail. The trucks were delighted. He's fallen in the water. Luckily, Thomas wasn't hurt and the fish truck stayed on the tracks. I love how in that accident that we just heard, when you see the episode visually, Thomas goes down the jetty and he splashes in the water. You can see the water splashing up in the air. And then there's just that one truck who remarks at him. (laughs) Well, this is actually a story where Arthur is supposed to be the main character. It begins with the Fat Controller coming to Tidmouth Sheds and speaking to Thomas, Percy and Arthur. And he says that there's a new line to a fishing village. He needs to decide which engine will run it. And Arthur seems the logical choice because he's just arrived on the island, of course. He's got an almost spotless record. And um, Thomas and Percy have too much work. But then the Fat Controller says, Thomas, you can run the line. (laughs) And 
and Thomas, of course, isn't particularly fond of fish after his experiences in Series 5. So, uh, yeah, not he's not going to give this role the, the, the dignity it deserves, shall we say. Um, but anyhow, as we heard just there, he's still not pleased with the role. He takes the fish away. And this is probably the most bizarre accident so far in Thomas and Friends, which is really saying a lot. So what happens is, as Thomas is pushing the fish trucks along the line, he comes to a jetty, and the trucks go one way, but the faulty points send him onto the jetty, and then he crashes into the, the shallow water at the end of the jetty. And it's it's like... It, it defies logic. I mean, how does that even work? I, I'm not aware of any instance on any railway line where the trucks could be sent one way down a set of points <laughs> and an engine another. It's just, unless, Connor, Denham, you've got any experience with that? As I alluded to it before, the best part of this episode is that one truck's one line. Oh, I'm in the water! <laughs> yes, that's what... uh, Which is a quote from the 1950s to 1960s radio comedy, The Goon Show. Oh, wow. In one moment, they're like, Marcus, yep. let us play a game and push him down the well. Yeah. <laughs> He's falling in the water. But David Mitten was apparently a big fan of The Goon Show, and it makes sense that the line is there. It does. It, 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 it's funny as well. Mm. Um, but I, I've got no practical experience of that happening, but I do know of trains uh, sort of derailing in the middle and jumping track, and it, it's sort of possible for the points to switch underneath an engine. Okay. But, ooh... I, I, I've got a four-step argument against this accident, so I'm, I'm going to hold off on to that until we finish the synopsis of the episode. Right, okay, so that, that's more or less like two-thirds of the way into the story, and then Arthur is sent along to collect Thomas's trucks, and later Arthur visits Thomas, and Thomas says, thank you, and Arthur says, oh, I'd love to be, I'd love to be, you know, the trainer runs this line, and then Thomas goes, well, then tell the fat controller! And um, so it happens that Sir Topham visits the new engines, uh, consisting of Murdoch, <laughs> Emily, and Arthur, who I've just realised, Murdoch, we haven't been introduced to him yet. <laughs> so it's just like, he's just there. <laughs> he's pretending <laughs> yeah. not yeah. to be. Let's <laughs> <laughs> pretend not to be seen. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. So, of course, um, we don't meet... Murdoch until well the next episode that we're covering actually peace and quiet that's the next episode of the podcast not the next episode of the show just to, just to clear it up uh, you can sort of see the side of uh, Spencer who yes you can actually yeah I forgot about that we're not introduced until episode twenty three mm-hmm. of this series so, so where, where were we oh yeah that's right so the fat controller comes to the other engine shed with the newer engines and emily and murdoch look away but arthur you know he's overcomes his shyness and says me me i want to run the line and i want to run it forever and ever and the fat controller goes then the line is yours that's it that's the story that's and, it. and and da 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 and the <laughs> Yeah, all right. So, so you were going to saying, Connor, that you had this these four points you wanted to raise about this particular accident. So, go. Oh, yes. So, 
Uh, as you said, Parry, accident is Thomas's trucks goes one way, he goes the other. So first of all, I'd like to uh, add that this is the... There seems to be a pattern here between Arthur stories about pushing trains along the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in Spotless Record, Arthur did it with a bunch of uh, fruit trucks. Mm-hmm. And here Thomas is doing it with fish trucks. Mm. However, Thomas is immediately better than Arthur because he's using a brake van. <laughs> However, that does not save him from the following four-point argument because mm. this accident should not have Sorry, happened. hold on, hold on, hold on, Connor. Let me just add something. Okay, you can go now. <laughs> because there are so many protection systems failing here. One, uh, Thomas says that he will go as fast as he can. Uh, which, like, like I'd like to say, the music when he's doing so at the staff in pushing the train. Love it. I don't love what happens next because uh, when a locomotive is pushing mm-hmm. or shoving a train along, they've got a restricted speed due to the danger it poses. And if he's going as fast as he can, that therefore means that he wasn't able to stop on time when he was diverted onto the old PL rail. Further meaning that he should have been able to stop before he fell eight metres into a tidal pool. Point no, two. No, he's not. Thomas doesn't appear to be coupled to the train. So, because when he's diverted onto the old pier, we don't hear or have any mention mm. of a coupling breaking. And even if there was a coupling connected between Thomas and mm. the trucks, we should have had poor maintenance on the maintenance crew path. Uh, the maintenance of the truck or issue on the cruise part of Thomas for not alerting the issue when they coupled Thomas up. You need to do these tests beforehand. Point three, there's no form of barricade at the end of the old P rail. Even if it's entirely abandoned, it should have some form of buffer stops there and not a random assortment of tyres and crates and seals. Or at least a a lollipop stick that says stop somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes, exactly. Yes, or in a close shave. And yes, that too. Fine things, the faulty points. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Um, for the faulty points, of course, they shouldn't have failed in the first place. Okay, there should be multiple levels of protection against mm-hmm. this. Um, they do not appear to be connected to a general signal box. Mm-hmm. More than likely, they're just a simple lever on the side of the rail where the quote-unquote signalman who sat in the little shack next to uh, the points would have worked. But since the pier seems misused, it's more likely a maintenance issue on, like, the track and rail repair crew, uh, and we can't blame this on the signalman for not maintaining these points because these points wouldn't have been under his uh, jurisdiction. Mm. But this accident shouldn't have happened... At all. But the Sandy Beach sets are nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a funny accident, though. It's yeah. like a very comedic one. He's just sort of there, and then he's not. It's like a, ca- a cartoon thing. Just sort of goes off the edge of the pier, and then whoop, down. <laughs> yep. Mm. Yes, the splashes of water's perfect. It's just like, boop, gone. <laughs> and, and you get the uh, 
line from the trucks. Actually, this episode's really got some really good parts of dialogue. It does. Yeah, uh, which you can thank the writer Paul Larson for. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Paul. I do appreciate that there's some sense of realism in this story, whilst there is a a, a major kind of presence of the slapstick, like the immediate kind of tension is mm. that the fish need to be delivered before the ice melts. Yeah, it, it's not, hey, let's immediately go rescue Thomas. It's, yeah, Arthur, go take the trucks. And at least Arthur's moving in the right direction with the trucks this time. Yes. Uh, however, he's going, he's pulling the train backwards, but he's a tank engine. He can do that. But that also means that he's pulling it from the brake fan end. So yeah. if any trucks, you know, break their couplings and run away, you know, there's not much you can do about it. Uh, like, yeah, true, oh, but, 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 a suburban but, but tank. brake fan doesn't. So he's a suburban tank, so yeah. perhaps he's, he's not used to trucks. He doesn't know the, the etiquette of trucks and pushing them around. Fair. Yeah, I like that theory. Yeah, yeah, mm. he, he his spotless record was broken before he even left the yard. It does make you wonder what kind of work Arthur maybe did where he was probably so sheltered and like probably why he has a spotless record as well. Yeah, well, as C-Spine, you pointed out, he was a suburban Very tank. Yeah, large suburban that, tank. Now, I am not good with railway history, but I'm pretty sure the LMS ran them as a suburban tank. <laughs> but don't, don't quote me on it. Write this down. I'm going to tell everybody about <laughs> it. That, that, that... No! <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a, another question I have about this episode. Sir Topham Hatt's decision-making skills. Yeah, he just pauses impressively and looks at the engines and goes, hmm, I wonder. Yeah, it, it's... Why did he make the decision as to who should work on a new line at the sheds? Like, like, like why couldn't he have thought about it beforehand? And why did he choose Thomas, who's got his own branch line already <laughs> that he needs to also work on? Well, uh, if he actually works on it is an entirely other question, but we'll move past that. <laughs> Every episode so far has had a last, and this is true here. Uh, this is the last time that we hear Junior Campbell's truck giggle. <gasps> no! Is it? That's iconic! No. Yeah. It, you, it started in the series two, and this is the last time that you hear it. Mm. So... Gee, that's a bit of a somber note to end it on, isn't it? A very uh, somber. Well, like I mean, we've we've it, it's a it's a changing moment for the show. Uh, yeah, series seven is very much, as you say, a transitional moment between six and eight. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of new characters being introduced that only have two or three episodes to their name. And more so are like merchandise characters. Having said that, Series 7 was very key because there's several characters in Series 7 that are still around today. Absolutely. It was. Like you look at Emily and Spencer, they're definitely the big ones. But I think Series 7, whilst it was kind of clutching on straws of being like the last kind of strand of the quote-unquote classic era, it was still inventing a lot of new material that's still relevant. There are so many different things that came from Series 7. Uh, 
and, and it's as this transitional moment that they went, okay, we want episodes to come out faster. We want stories to be done cheaper. You know, worrying about the triple bottom line and so on, or the single bottom line. Uh, so they cut the use of practical elements, such as rain, such as snow, and it all becomes CGI, especially because CGI was very much in the early 2000s. It was very much seen as the way of entertainment industry moving forward. It was very much in vogue because mm. a lot of people pinpoint Shrek as the turning point. That was the moment when everyone said, okay, maybe we should get onto this CGI animation. Yes. Yes. But from discussions about Series 7 as a whole, we've still got one more episode to review. So let's get the ratings for this one. Radio. I will start off and go, mm-hmm. listen, dialogue in some places is good, but it hasn't got as much meat to it as I would like. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I mean, sure, the accident's funny, but there are just so many questions that the accident itself brings up and Sir Topham Hatt's mm. decision-making skills. The, the entire episode's got a big asterisk next to it, so... Uh, 6.5 again. All right. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to give it slightly less than you, Connor. I'm going to go for a six. Like there are certainly some enjoyable elements mm. in there for sure. But on the whole, I don't think it's a very compelling narrative and it is kind of bland when compared with, well, especially the past two stories we've covered on this episode of the podcast. So mm. yeah, not one of the best moments from series seven. It's, it's, it's all right. Like I can put it on and I'll enjoy it. So six out of 10 from me. Yeah. It's about this time into series seven. You can start to feel how diluted things are becoming. I think that's very much, uh, I guess a glimmer of what's to come in the future though. Having said that there are some entertaining tidbits here and there, the comedic pacing, uh, the storytelling, but I think there are parts that are very lacking as well. Oh, you know, it's okay. It's nice to see Arthur. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of ten. See swine. Uh oh. Uh, I'm. I think I'm the odd duck here. Um, I really like this episode. Um, I like Arthur as a character, and I think I maybe emph- empathize with him, um, wanting to sort of be by the seaside. Um, I love the the shots of him traveling about on the island, and I love the little um, seaside uh, village setting. Um, and I like the moral as well, because like Arthur is kind of like shy, and he follows the rules, and he's maybe feels like he can't speak up, so he he has the job, you know, he can't get the job that he wants, and then in the end he realizes like yeah actually you know I, I, it's okay to speak up sometimes it's it's okay to ask for things and like he overcomes his shyness and uh he gets the job that he yeah, wants that's a good point. he gets to hang out with fish all day <laughs> <laughs> it's all he wanted. one nice thing that this story does though is that it's that kind of continuity that we have an engine receiving something like Thomas getting his branch line, Edward getting his branch line, Duck getting his branch line. Mm. And now it feels like Arthur's kind of following that trend. Yeah, I think 
like that sort of aspect that yeah that's just that's just Arthur's job he just works at the little fishing village so I think I think I have to give it an eight I really like this episode <laughs> no no it, I, I would expect no nothing less from someone called sea swine <laughs> yes. to like an episode about the sea oh, oh but before we move on to our next story um one thing we haven't raised is Arthur's theme it's great. Like I think it might be the best theme of Series 7. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely up there. It's not my personal favourite. Yeah. I think mine would have to be okay. Spencer's. Uh, oh, yeah, Spencer's theme is good. Oh, Fergus's theme as well, actually. That's quite jaunty, so, yeah. It's, series 7 has got some good music in it. And on music, there's actually some interesting music in the next episode. Denim, what is it? The next and final instalment of this episode of Ride on Track is the episode The Runaway Elephant. And in the clip that you're about to hear, Duncan is sent to pick up a rather interesting delivery that uh, he may need some help for, but he doesn't want to take it, does he? When Duncan saw the elephant, he was surprised. Why, it's only a statue, he said. This is an easy job. You must wait for the brake van, said the station master. This statue is very heavy. Nonsense, huffed Duncan to his driver. I've pushed heavier loads than this plenty of times. Let's go, Duncan, said his driver, but we must be careful. So they left. But without the brake van. But Duncan wasn't careful. He was impatient. Mm, operating a train without a brake van. I hope Duncan's elephant doesn't run away. Mm, that mm. would be unfortunate. Nah, nah. Yeah, like, <laughs> oof. Um, yes, uh, The Runaway Elephant, uh, written by George Tarry, uh, his second and last episode he ever wrote, the first one being What's the Man with Henry, uh, is mm. yeah, well, we're at an interesting point here in Series 7 because... This is the fourth Narrow Gage episode that we're reviewing and is in Series 7, and there's more to come. There's literally so many. Yeah, which means mm -hmm. that already there are more stories in Series 7 on the Narrow Gage than there are in Series 5 and 6. But, yes, Runaway Elephant. Essentially, mm. there is a new station uh, being built, new line, whatnot, and then what's happened is that Duncan wants to finish his work first. He wants to be the fastest. So he leaves without a brake van, which I'm totally fine with. Uh, and it uh, gets away. A and he's dragged along by the runaway elephant until he eventually crashes into the station. The elephant flies through the air doing ballet and backflips and then lands in the lake then in the end the station opens and everyone's like we love where the elephant landed it's a good job duncan what i love about this episode is that it gives you everything that it says on the tin and the best thing about it is the pacing is so on point that's true it's got good pacing in this episode like many of the runaway stories uh, it's very much got not too much of a story. It's simply engine takes train, engine does thing, 
train runs away from them. Except this one has a comedic happy accident. Yes, this yep. one has a happy accident. Hooray for Duncan's accident! <laughs> <laughs> it also features a lavishingly new station. Yes, which i uh, briefly touch on Elephant Park Station, as it's sort of known. Is it the terminus of a small branch line? One of the ones that sort of pop up in Series 7? Uh, as it's got a very strange track layout. Which is strange, it's... because the Scarlowy Railway, it already is a branch line. I'd argue the Scarlowy Railway is more of a railway yeah. than a branch line within itself, and it has lines stemming off that. Okay, yeah. Okay. It, it, it's strange, because it's got a little single track that splits into double track yard area, and then it's got a station that goes off at 45 degrees to the rail and stops just in front of a lake. A single platform buffered. It further solidifies my theory that I think that Scarlowy, Reneus, Peter, Sam, Duncan and Rusty have uh, gone to this new part of the railway ahead of the grand opening um, whilst Sahando and Duke are still operating the sections that we don't see, that we've seen in earlier seasons before, with the help from the engines here and there. Oh, yeah... I can see that, especially because... No, Sir Handel got spirited away. <laughs> I liked your hero in that movie. <laughs> Another great movie. It, 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 wait, he, he got spirited away like Chihiro in what movie? It, it, yeah, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but, you know, it, yeah. Miyazaki directed it. spirited it, away. It, um... <laughs> That's the name of the movie. Oh, um, oh there it away. is too. Whoops. <laughs> I was doing a bit there, Parry. Did you not care? <laughs> Did you genuinely not know the name? No, I was doing the bit too. I was going along with you. Oh, okay. We all did. Okay. For the sake of comedy. (laughs) (laughs) But, yes. uh, I've mentioned this before uh, for the Scarlet Railway, but it looks so much better in Series 7 than it does in, like, Series 5 and 6, I feel. Because Series 5 was way too grey, Series 6 felt a little too cramped, but now it's green, it's wide, it's spacious. Mm. It, it really does feel like that we're just in a rural, mountainous countryside. Definitely. And we've got the distance to show it. And I love that. It, it, it doesn't quite feel as quaint as the Series 4 scenery. I mean, I know... Oh, no. That, I know that Season 4 set a really high bar, but, yeah, after seeing that and coming back and seeing this, it's like, it's just not as impressive, you know? Mm, no. Yeah, I was going to agree with Harry that, like, it feels a little bit too clean for me. It's, like, it's a little bit too... Yeah, like it's, it's it's green grass, blue skies, nothing really in between. I think it's why I'm a little bit thankful that we see the odd piece of Series 4 stock footage here and there because it further solidifies that in myself that those places mm-hmm. are still kicking around. It's like, oh yeah, they're still there, they're still popping. <sighs> so so this episode is... I'll, I'll, I'll touch on sort of a big issue with it, I feel. Which is Duncan just wanting to finish first? It does feel like Duncan to a T, though, but, like, I can relate. I like being ahead of everyone. You're already ahead taller than everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean that figuratively or physically? 
Oh, physically, you've got about a foot over me and Connor. I mean, come on. I weigh six metric tons. Like, <laughs> it's very dense. Um, but I, I, I actually know where Connor's coming from here because I feel that Duncan wanting to finish first, it's kind of out of character. Like, I could understand if he was impatient or something like that, but this feeling that. You know, he gets a thrill out of finishing first. I don't get that. It's not something we've seen in his character before. The <laughs> character devolution. Actually, I'd <laughs> argue it's character development. Isn't it the same in Duncan, Duncan, Duncan as well? Like, he wants to finish fast in that and rush about in that, doesn't he? Yeah, okay, oh, yeah, I'll a, give yeah. you that. Yeah, yeah. Like I'll give you that. Have it in that one, it very much felt more like he wanted to get it over and done with so that he could go back home. <laughs> Meanwhile, in this one, it feels like he just wants to get it done. I feel like there's potentially an adventure with Duncan that we haven't seen in between those two episodes where Duncan very quickly finishes a job and he gets rewarded, so maybe he feels like he's going to get rewarded again. <laughs> right, right. So, so he got praise one time and he... He's like, I, I'm going to hold on to that. I, this made me feel really good and happy. I'll now always do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can see that. But there's also some. You're never happy, Connor, aren't you? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I am happy. I am happy because there's some good things about this. But there's one thing that I really don't like about this. And when Rusty and Scar Lobby talk about Duncan, as they always do, they gossip about him at the back of the shed. Rusty says, better safe than fast. Yes. Now, sure, that's a good moral, but... Okay, I understand how children watching this or people in other cultures and countries mightn't understand the saying, better safe than sorry. Mm -hmm. Especially because describing something as sorry has fallen out of fashion. But better safe than fast, it doesn't have the alliteration. It doesn't work. It's not a saying. You can obviously see that they were trying to refer to better safe than sorry. But then they just threw in fast and it doesn't work. And it hurts me. I could have, it, it, I could have said slow and steady wins the race or something like that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They could have always done something like that, but instead they decided to desecrate a saying which has been around for generations. Mm. The, 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 the etymological historian in my heart breaks apart at that line. And, mm. and it just hurts, man. It hurts. Mm. Oh, so while you're hurting, Connor, um, I want to raise this <laughs> particular point on the floor crying <laughs> in the previous episode of our podcast we reviewed the story Reneas and the roller coaster and i feel that the runaway elephant is a poor imitation of that well not not a poor imitation but it's a slightly lesser imitation and i feel that it's trying to emulate or it emulates too strongly what Reneas and the roller coaster already did and for that reason i find the previous story to be more enjoyable and more palatable than this one. I think it does it better. Oh, do you? Yeah, I think Renee's and the roller coaster is the poorer version. Like these two episodes are back to back in terms of Scarlowy's stories. They are. And if anything, when watching Renee's and the roller coaster, 
it's very it's shot very static the camera's very still there's lots of weird dutch angles whereas in this one the shots are a lot wider and the camera has more movement dutch angles yeah and they've done the exact same here Honestly, from a filmic point of view, I think this episode does the whole runaway thing in the mountains better. But that's just my personal opinion. It, it's strange. They both have got very... They've got lots of similarities in a lot of their shots and how the story, like, accident plays out. And they both use the William Tell Overture, don't they? Yes, yeah. they do. Uh, it's a small variation, uh, just short of the William Tell Overture. And mm-hmm. I think the episode intentionally does that so we don't hear it mm. all over again. And I am fairly sure that this is the fourth and final episode to ever use the finale of Vulum Tell Overture. Hmm. See, Swine, you're a bit of a Duncan fan as well. Is there anything that you feel this episode particularly does well for the character? See, like, I like the... Duncan seems a bit dense. There's one line where he says, ah, it's only, it's only a statue. This will be easy. And it's kind of like he's expecting it to be a live elephant that he's got to sort of guide around the track. <laughs> like he was fully expecting a live elephant, which would have made the, ep- the episode a, a little bit more interesting. Um, yes, certainly. I think like the, the weird kind of like zany nature kind of works better with Duncan because like... I don't, he's not a silly character, but for me, like, Renaissance is a little bit more, like, stern, and the roller coaster thing is a little bit like, oh, we're bullying this poor old engine, whereas Duncan can kind of take it on the chin, chasing after his uh, stone elephant. D- Duncan deserves to be made fun of. Yes. <laughs> Bully him. <laughs> um, yeah. I-, I-, I would like to mm-hmm. know, because you mentioned live elephant. Uh, of course, elephants and railways have got a long history, uh, part of which we mentioned a, a, in not episode... Not a great history. <laughs> not a very happy one. Yeah, yeah, not a very happy one. We saw mention this in episode 30 of the podcast when we covered Henry and the Elephant. So it's not too surprising that there may be an elephant statue near a railway. But most of the time, an elephant statue is near a railway because something happened with an elephant near the railway there. I'm not necessarily referring to, you know, an elephant hit by train here, <laughs> or train re-railed by elephant. There's your shout-out to Big World Big Adventures. But it typically means that something happened there. Oh, but... Which brings up the question, what happened with an elephant on the Scarlowe Railway? Could it potentially be the elephant that tormented Henry? Could be an elephant from the circus. Yeah. Who may have been a audience favourite member for yes. a long time. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe the elephant that tormented Henry is prone to escaping. Okay, okay. Cease one, you got any theories? Um, I, I've never actually thought of it. It's quite a happy-looking uh, elephant statue, so maybe it's not something so morbid. <laughs> well, yeah, but you wouldn't exactly do an elephant laying on its side if it's a morbid accident. <laughs> <laughs> like me. It, that would be adding more insult to in, uh, injury to the poor elephant. <laughs> well, maybe it's, just, maybe it's just a good luck symbol, because, of course, the elephant's got his trunk up, and that's a sign of good luck. 
Yeah, and, and as a sign of its good luck, it's run away without a brake fan, which is going against everything dear to my heart in railway safety. That was Duncan's good luck. He only had a minor accident, and the elephant <laughs> actually landed in a place which was, you know, visually pleasing. Yeah, also... I do quite enjoy the motion animation of the elephant somersaulting in the air and then landing perfectly <laughs> in the middle of the lake. Yeah, like, it, it, it is. very much is a, a, a static... Uh, image of the elephant, I believe, that they just rotated a few times. I I don't believe it's a proper three D model render. No, I'm I, I'm pretty sure it's just yeah, it's just the yeah. image flipping. It's like the sign in Dunkin' Donut. Mm. It does it does a similar thing to the sign. It does the little flip and it lands. <laughs> it very much might. Uh, be 3D. I'm fairly sure it is just an image, though. But, like, I mean, it's very comedic watching it flip through the air. Like, mm -hmm. I, I... I definitely... When I was watching the accident for the first time, I didn't... Actually... Hang on, I, I've just pulled up the clip now to confirm. It very much does look 3D. Mm. But it might be actual like the model that they rotate a few times and they've done masking behind it, which is why it looks 3D. But watching how... Yeah, watching how it... Like the light bounces off of it, it definitely is a model of some kind, physical or digital. Anyways, um, yeah, it, it, it spins pleasingly through the air and it should have landed on its head and back and cracked. Which sort of brings us to the ratings, unless there's anything else. Mm, I've covered everything. Yeah? Yeah, we're all good. C-Swine, you got any comment here? Any quips? Um, no, I, I, I think some blame goes on the driver for the whole brake van thing, because Duncan's oh, like, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. and then yeah. the driver's like, yeah, no, I, I don't want to argue with Duncan, let's just go. <laughs> let's get it over with. And this is... Not the only instance in which Duncan's driver very nearly causes a disaster, I might add. Well, he did cause an accident, not a disaster. Well, he did cause an accident, but yeah. as we'll find out later on in this series, he does yeah. something even worse than that. Uh, incompetence all the way around. Yes. So, let's rate it. Okay. Um, I, I guess I'll lead. Uh, six out of ten. Like it, it's not my definitely not my favorite, but I think having this discussion today, it really helped me to appreciate it more. Particularly, you know, the gags and the narration and all that. And so, yeah. Uh, Connor, what about you? I was originally wanting to be very, very harsh against it because, like, it, it's got the break fan thing again mm. and a whole bunch of things just don't line up to me. However, it's got a lot more really interesting, I feel, visuals to it, that it succeeds well in, and it is fun. So we'll bump up the score to say, uh, yeah, seven. Okay. Denim? I've been fairly quiet up until now, which probably means that I'm going to give a fairly decent score, I reckon. Um, I reckon this episode has a lot going for it. It has a great conflict, Duncan being the main conflict. 
the runaway sequence is shot very beautifully, better than Renaissance and the Roller Coaster, in my opinion. The resolution is funny, um, and there's a bit of a, a punchline with it all. And I reckon it works really well, and it looks really lovely. I'm going to give Ooh. it a 10. Oh. That's your first 10 Ooh. in a very long while, Dan. So that's <laughs> also the second 10 of this episode, because Connor, of course, you gave Snow Engine a 10. So, yeah. We're very generous, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> very generous. Mm. Oh, oh. Let's see if it continues, guys. Let, let's see what other episodes receive a... A 10 out of 10, but Sea Swine, what are you rating? It's like a, it's just like a silly, like, episode. There's nothing, like, it's not serious. You can just have fun with it. Um, I think, like, the setting, the set for me looks a little bit, like, bland. It's not quite the Scarlowy that I liked from season four. Um, I do like that, like, Duncan is being a goblin. And, like, it's just, like, an incredibly silly plot. So... I think I'd go with an eight. Like it's just a fun little romp. Mm. I can just stick it on and laugh. That's a very decent score. Yeah. Very admirable. And I'm afraid that brings us to the end of episode fifty-five of Right on Track. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, a few surprises this episode. Not just the song, but I didn't expect even for myself for there to be two tens. Oh, nor did I. Oh, Connor, yeah. don't you know, we're full surprises here at Right on Track. Hey. <laughs> Before we sign off for another episode, Sea Swine, thank you very much for being here with us. Is there anything you'd like to plug that you're working on? Um, I mean, I'm starting to get back into writing um, as well as drawing. Uh, it's like I've not really been taught at school how to write creatively, so storytelling's like... A new thing for me so i am trying to put out more stories and people can read them adapt them do whatever um and like my my artwork I, it's it's very much a spur of the moment someone will give me an idea and i'll draw it <laughs> and where can people find these artworks and stories um, I'm mostly active on Twitter for now, which is uh, cswine9. Um, I use DeviantArt more as an archive for artwork, just so pieces don't get lost. And I think, again, it's cswine9 on DeviantArt. Um, I do have a Thomas the Tank channel, but I, I don't really use it. <laughs> I occasionally stream artwork on there, as, you know, um, and I do request streams if people want sketches uh, and to watch me work. And if you want to get into contact with us, you can do so via our various social media, such as our Instagram, TTTE underscore right on track. There is also our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash right on track Thomas podcast. Our Twitter at on track Thomas. And let's not forget as well, Connor, we've also got an email address. You can shoot us through a message via right on track Thomas at gmail.com. That was episode 55 of Right on Track, but in episode 56, Mr. Tom Parry, what on earth are we going to be covering? The next stories we're going to cover, Mr. Denham, are Peace and Quiet, Fergus Breaks the Rules, and OG Rides Again, which I'm particularly... Ooh, the return. <laughs> you weren't prepared. <laughs> but until that time comes, I'm still Connor. I'm still Parry. I'm still Denham. I'm potentially C-Swine 9. 
<laughs> and this has been the Right on Track podcast. See you guys. Bye. See you around. Farewell. Yeah,